Interwomack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Karis Bible College Campus Days. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. So this is Paul Milligan. Well, good morning. Are you glad you're here? It's better than being in the best hospital in town, isn't it? Um, I've got a little something here I want to give away. Uh, this is uh, called Setting Your Financial House in Order. Uh, it is uh, CDs, DVDs, syllabus, and a piece of software that my IT department wrote called Basic Sense. Uh, let, me just, let me just give you some quick, I've got testimonies from all over the world. I don't have a clue how many of these are out there now. There's probably as many in England as there is any place. But people have gotten out of debt in three to five years. They've, uh, they've been able to use some of the principles and things we teach in here to start really laying down stewardship in their own personal lives and um, building wealth for the kingdom of God now. Let me just say, if you do this, if you just do it, don't analyze it, don't speculate about it, don't, look, don't talk about how hard it is, just do it and see what happens. Chris, would you give this away because I'm not about to. Now, if Chris, if Chris doesn't give that to you, you can buy that for $110. So everybody, that, everybody that's gonna to have to buy it for $110 say praise God. Praise God. Because that money goes into CBC. I don't, I don't take, I've given that to Andrew Womack Ministries and literally we've sold hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them. Amen, that's good. Um, <clears throat> So you're not, you're not just giving me that money, you're giving it to Andrew Walton Ministries and Karis Bible College. So please, the table's downstairs, $110, $6 if you wanna ship it, and uh, you'll be blessed, amen? Well, it's an honor this morning to get to share the word with you. Um, like Gary invited me to minister at his church three weeks in a row. Can you believe that? that, that sometimes people do that, but after the first Sunday, I don't usually get invited back. I don't know what happened, but... Uh, I want to share something with you this morning in the time I've got that, and I want to try to communicate this to you because it's important. What I'm going to share with you this morning dramatically changed my life. Now, if I could teach you all of it, it'd take about 12 hours. And uh, I guess the, there's a couple of people that heard, heard all 12 hours. Pastor Greg and Janice Moore have heard it. And uh, sorry. Yeah, it's in session seven, guys, in the book, if you want to follow along, session seven. And of course, my wife's heard it. But uh, it, what I want to talk to you about is how God changed my life, my, mine and my wife's lives through an understanding of covenant relationship. And also, um, honey, you mind bringing that bottle of water? It's going to dry up here on the stage for some reason. Um, Back, back about 35 to 40 years, well, in 1974, Patsy and I got married. Uh, and you know, we, we were brought up in good homes. I was brought up in a Southern Baptist church. Where else do you want to be brought up? And uh, you know, if you guys know what I mean by Southern Baptist church, then you know what Lottie Moon Christmas offering is and all these things, right? Well, I was 12 years old and, and those, I remember these, these missionaries coming from Africa and sharing their stories with us. And I was scared to death God was gonna call me to be a missionary to Africa. 
Little did I know that he did. I spent most, a, a good fraction of, the, of about the last 12 or 13 years in Africa doing, doing uh, microenterprise work in Kenya. But you know, I remember that time because I, it, was, it, was, it coincides in a period of my life as a young boy that I fell in love with God's word. And my mom used to say she, she'd catch me after, after I go to bed with a flashlight under the sheet reading the word. It was important to me. I mean, I, it captured me for some reason. I mean, of course, I wasn't a perfect child, but the Word of God captured me, and I had a relationship with the Word. And then in the 1980s, uh, you know, of course, Patsy and I were raised like most people. We were in debt up to here and living paycheck to paycheck, and I know y'all have never had to do that, but we did. Um, and it wasn't just financial, just there were so many things in our lives that were missing. And God began to reveal what some of the things I'm going to share with you today, and a lot of the things I can't, don't have the time to share with you. But it transformed our lives. God told us to get out of debt. He showed us how to do it. I was prophesied to for almost 12 years that I was going to own my own company. How many of you know you get a prophecy from God? And, uh, you know, when, I, when, when you were, I think I was probably in my early 20s when I got the first one in my late 20s. And, <clears throat> you know, I remember thinking, well, you know, God will give me my own company like in three weeks. <laughs> it was 13 years. And so if God, if, but let me tell you something, if God tells you what the, what's going to take place between the amen and the there it is, you'd quit. You wouldn't do it. So God knows how to advertise. He knows a lot about marketing. So he marketed the position to me, but boy, I, you wouldn't believe what I had to go through those 13 years to learn how to run a company. And then God allowed us to start our own business in 1989. My pastor Still my pastor today, Greg Moore, sitting down there on the front row. He was with me when I made the decision to start that company. And he probably, I don't know if he remembers this or not, but we'd sit out on the driveway praying and asking God for wisdom. I did that for a year before I made the decision to start that company. Well, the rest is history. Those companies are very successful. Hundreds of employees have created millions in wealth for the kingdom of God. It's just, <clears throat> it's just a testimony that, of God's grace but it, is, but it is a product of his word. The, the word, I, I mean, Pastor can probably tell this better than I can, but I would, I would, at that point in my life, in my 20s, we had, you know, some young children and, and I almost spent so, so much time in the word, I neglected my family, but it was transforming everything about me, the way I thought, and so it became important to me. But one of the things I want to share with you, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 15, I'll get there with you. I want you to see that, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed Barry Bennett's, I enjoyed all of them, but I enjoyed Barry's ministry yesterday because <clears throat> he said something that, that's been a part of my ministry. Um, I don't look at the word of God in sections. I look at it as a whole. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing in Genesis chapter one and, and in Revelation, he knew what he was talking about. He, it's, an, it's an interwoven uh, revelation and <clears throat> So, you know, that, I was brought up in a church that taught dispensationalism. And, you know, like Barry said, by the time you get through with, with chopping the word into, like the denominations were doing it back when I was a kid, you got about five verses left. Well, I want to show you this morning that God's heart's never changed. You know, you, you can go back and look in the Old Testament. Yeah, you, you can read the stories of where God had the children of Israel to destroy entire nations. Men, women, and children. 
You know, this is what the world likes to use this against God now. You know, they call him a psycho. I heard a man call God a psychopath on television the other night. Um, so when you look at that, you say, well, you know, man, the law was tough. I'm glad I didn't have to live under the law. Can, can I just share with you that God's grace, the covenant that you and I are under can, can accurately be called a covenant of grace. But did you know that the covenant of grace was always in God's heart? And I'm going to show it to you in the word. And I want you to get to where you don't look at, don't section and compartmentalize the word of God. Let him speak to you through the whole word. And, it'll, and the puzzles will be put together a lot better for you. Look at Genesis chapter 15 with me, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, You've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now look at verse six. And he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And he said, Lord, how shall I know I inherit it? He said, go bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Now, here's what's about to happen. God's about to make covenant with Abraham. And what he does is he has Abraham bring these animals, and he splits them this way, not this way, this way. And he lays the pieces and there, there's several places in the scripture where God describes what would happen at that point. This, these, there are 10 steps of covenant making. This is one of them. And what would happen was that those who were making covenant would walk those pieces in a figure eight. It was called the walk of death or the walk of blood. And as they would walk those things and they would stand at each opposite end of that piece of, the, of that sacrifice and they would declare to each other in covenant blessings over one another. And they blessed them with, and this, this is the way the children of Israel, you can read this in the antiquities of the Jews, how they made covenant with one another. This is God making covenant with Abraham, but they made covenant with one another. How many of you know if you're married, you made covenant with someone? And you're one with that person. How are you one? I mean, that's an interesting thing because they were, uh, Lawson was showing, you remember the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the devil, remember the little skit thing he did? Uh, I think he picked some of the wrong players to put in there, but <laughs> be that as it may, uh, Ashley's not the devil, bless God. He's, I know him. He's not the devil, he trained the devil. Uh, you don't let him, you're not gonna let him off the hook now. But they would, but then listen, listen to what they would do. Once they had declared blessings over one another, then there was, it's called the oath of blessings and cursings. And they would look up to heaven, they would say, may God do this to you and more if you don't keep the words of this covenant. And so this is the way they understood. They understood covenant. Our culture doesn't have a clue. If you, if you think our culture understands covenant, look at the way we treat marriages. Divorce is just rampant. You know, it, you know if it gets tough, you know, the grass is green on the other side, you know, just pick a new partner, do what, you know, whatever you want to do. Well, that's not God. And God's serious about covenant. Covenant is the highest, most noble form of relationship that God's ever ordained or created. And we are one. You know how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one? They're one in thought, purpose, and action. 
They're one in thought, purpose, and action. And that's what happens in a covenant. My wife and I are one in thought, purpose, and action most of the time. As the, the, the longer we live together, the, the closer that becomes accurate. But when we first married, well, we were kind of a lot years apart on that. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit don't have that problem. They are one in thought, purpose, and action, even though they're three distinct beings. Now, what I, what I want you to see here is that Abraham is about to make covenant with God. And I want you to see how God treats this. Because remember, you're in covenant with God. When you accepted Jesus, see, there's only one way to get into God's covenant. You've got to be born into them. The children of Israel were born into this covenant because they were born children of Israel. You were born into a covenant because you were born again. Now, if you look at this, look at verse um, 11. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will be afflicted them 400 years. As he starts prophesying to Abram. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is great. And it came to pass. Now pay attention to this. It came to pass. When the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Remember what I said? Walk of figure eight, pass between those pieces. Now, I want you to see something, just in case you think that God had any plans for Abraham to keep this covenant perfectly. When the covenant was cut, Abram was dead asleep. He was in a deep sleep. And the Bible tells us that a smoking oven and a flaming torch shows up and begins to cut this covenant with God the Father. Now, who do you think the smoking oven and the flaming torch are? Jesus. Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. Jesus is the only one, listen carefully, Jesus is the only one who has ever cut covenant with the Father. No one, ever else, no one else has. No one else can keep the covenant. So here we see Abraham is, is asleep and God, he, Abraham's getting to see a movie of the future while Jesus is cutting covenant with the father. He said, on the same day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Now turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 20 with me just a moment. And I'm gonna fast forward to another era, era, How many of you remember that David and Jonathan made a covenant with one another? The Bible says that they loved each other as they loved themselves. David loved Jonathan and Jonathan loved David. Now there's a little problem with that because Jonathan was the son of Saul who had become an enemy of David, tried to kill David. So here we see that David and Jonathan had a covenant. Look at verse eight. Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? This is David talking to Jonathan. But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Look at verse 13. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. Remember what I said? The, the, the oath of cursing. You do this to, may God do this to you and more if you don't keep the words of this covenant. 
Now look at what he's saying. Y'all know this story about how David, how Jonathan's going to have the servant shoot the arrows so David knows whether to come or not. And look at 13. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, look at this now. It doesn't just say David, it says house of David. He made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. There are still tribes in, in some parts of Africa who make covenant and they will keep these, this oath of curses to the fifth to the seventh generation. I've talked to some of them. If you violate their covenant, they would kill your descendants to the fifth generation if they had to. They take covenant very seriously. So that's what, look, these men love each other, but they're speaking curses on one another for not keeping the covenant. So then, if you would, now turn over to, uh, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 4. Oh, and let me point out one thing. If you'll notice there, Jonathan said, you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. Now the word that's translated kindness is hasid, uh, the mercy or the grace of God. In the New Testament, we'd understand it as grace. It's the, the word is, is, is better used as loving kindness. So now li listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The only permissible attitude in covenant as God has ordained covenant, the only permissible attitude is loving kindness. So in my covenant with my wife, no matter what she does, you say, well, she could do some pretty bad things. Yeah, so could I. No matter what she does, my response is loving kindness. Y'all get that? Aren't you glad we all do that? And I had somebody ask me, so well, what would you do if your wife ran off with a postman or something? I'd stand on the word and get her back. So well, you're nuts. No, I'm not. I'm in covenant. You either learn to walk in covenant or you don't. And, and to the extent that we don't, listen, guys, this is why we have trouble with unity and power. Because, and I'm talking about power as a, as, a, as a group, as an organization, or as a church, or as a family. Because we don't understand how serious God is about covenant and we don't keep it. If we keep covenant with God, the blessings and the promises of God are yes and amen, aren't they? The promises are coming. Now, look at, look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and look at verse 4. Jonathan saw son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is an interesting character. He was the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. And here we see Mephibosheth being taken up when the news came that Saul and Jonathan were dead. His nurse jerks him up and rushes out of the palace with him and falls and breaks both of his feet. So he's lame in both his feet. Now I wanna ask a question. Why was the nurse rushing out of the palace with Mephibosheth? Because in that day when the king was killed, 
that whoever was the conqueror or the victor would come and kill his entire family. And let me just tell you something. Saul had been telling his house for a long time, if David ever, if David ever gets to be king, you better hide, you better run. He'll kill every one of you because that was the way it was done. So Saul's constantly telling his house that David's gonna come, he's gonna kill you. If anything ever happens to me, this is what's gonna happen. So she was conditioned and she ran. And in that process, Mephibosheth was, was made lame. And the, word, the name Mephibosheth is interesting. You know what the name Mephibosheth means? Despised thing. Despised thing. What mother would name their child despised thing? I'm, 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 more, uh, I'm more apt to believe that uh, it came to be known despised thing and wasn't despised thing when she named her son. But be that as it may, here we have Mephibosheth, who is the heir of Saul. Now turn over to uh, chapter 9, and let's look at verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now here David is, and he's remembering the covenant with Jonathan. And he makes this statement. He says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him loving kindness? For whose sake? Saul's sake? Jonathan's sake. Why Jonathan? He's the one who cut covenant with him. He's the one he was in covenant with. And so here we find that David, which I believe in this particular scripture is a type of God the Father, is reaching out with loving kindness. Remember, the only permissible attitude in covenant is loving kindness. This is why David didn't kill Saul. He understood these things. Verse two, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Now let me tell you where Lodibar is. Lodibar is the wilderness. And it was the place uh, where the hunting lodges were of the kings of Israel. Saul built a hunting lodge out, out in Lodibar. And when, when David had become king, that's where Mephibosheth had escaped to. And he was in the house of Machir, the, uh, the son uh, of Amiel in Lodibar. So there he is, he's out in the wilderness. Ziba knew where he was at because Ziba was a servant of Saul. Now look at, uh, <clears throat> at verse five. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Now, let me tell you what happened. First of all, think through this with me. What is the attitude of David? What is he thinking about when he's thinking about Mephibosheth? He's gonna bless him. He's gonna show him loving kindness. He's reaching out to him in the wilderness to bring him back. I mean, this is a perfect picture of the world, but sometimes even Christians, because the world thinks God's, you know, they see him as the destroyer of nations, blame everything on God. But they think that God's out to get them. Well, that's what Mephibosheth thought, that David was out to get him. He's hiding in Lodabar. So David sends after him. Now, the, the King James verse says he fetched him. Let me tell you something. When a king fetches you, you've been fetched. 
He didn't send a couple of guys on a couple of donkeys out there to get him. He sent an, I'm taking a little license here, but I just, you know, I've read some things about these kings. He sent an entourage out there. And can you imagine Mephibosheth in that lodge? And by this time, guys, he's in his 20s. He's got a son of his own. And he's looking out and he sees these, the, the dust cloud coming. And what do you think he thinks? Oh my God, he's found me. David has found me. It's over with. I'm not going to live to see another day. And so they came and they took Mephibosheth and they take him back to David. And let's look at what happens. And David said, Mephibosheth, he's, he, he's prostrated himself. Why do you think Mephibosheth's on his face prostrating himself? If, if Mephibosheth truly understood that David was going to show him loving kindness and loved him, he wouldn't have prostrated himself and fell on his face. He was afraid. You and I would do the same thing. He was afraid. He was scared to death. And so he's laying there and look what David said. David says, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. That sounds like something God would say. Do not fear for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. There here we see the word again, Hasid, loving kindness. And it will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He still don't understand. He still didn't respond in the right way. Listen carefully to me, guys. Do you know what, you know what the only proper response to God is? His promises, his love, his loving kindness. There's only one response. It's thank you, Jesus. Anything else you're wasting, your time and God's. Because here's what you'll be tempted to do. I know nobody in this room's ever done this, but this is for people that might get a CD and, re and hear this in the future. All of us have done this. We go before God and you know what? We, we may not articulate it this way, but it's kind of in the back of our mind. It's kind of in our heart. You know, I've been really good. I mean, I, I've really served God. Well, you know, bless God, I serve on Andrew's board of directors and I, I contribute. I mean, I'm doing something. I direct the business school. I'm doing all these things and teaching and pouring myself out and meeting with folks and helping people and you know. And so you know, you kind of you get sneaky about how you present that stuff to God, don't you? <laughs> but you find a way to present your stuff to God. Can, can I just because I love you? Can I tell you something? That's the biggest waste of time you could ever engage in, because my Bible says that your righteousness and my righteousness is a filthy rag. Try this. Take Jesus' stuff to him and see what he says. Amen. Present Jesus and what Jesus did for you and I to God and see what kind of response you get. And guys, this is the essence of covenant. It's first union and then communion. The very essence of covenant is union and then communion. And when we come together in covenant, how many of you know that I stand here today in covenant with Jesus Christ? I'm born again, filled with his spirit. I mean, it's, it's just a light thing. I mean, I know it's not any big deal. But you know what? I'm above only and not beneath. I'm the head, not the tail. I always triumph in Christ Jesus because I'm a big shot. Right? Wrong. When God looks at me now because I'm in covenant with Jesus, he sees Jesus. That's the only way he deals with me anymore. And if I come trying to deal with God on any other basis, I get nothing. 
A double-minded man receives a little bit from God? Nothing. Not a thing. And we wonder why we can't get healed. We wonder why we don't prosper. Because it never has been about you and me. It never will be about you and me. It's always been Jesus. He was the messenger of the covenant with Abraham. He's still the messenger of the covenant today. He's still Lord. He's always going to be Lord. Get over it and get on with it. Let me tell you what, if you, if you truly understand covenant the way God teaches it in his word, you become bold as a lion, not meek as a little lamb. My Bible says something, where's like over in maybe Hebrews chapter four, about verse 16, somewhere along in there, you know what the word says? It says, I come boldly before the throne of God to receive mercy and find grace in time of need, boldly. You know, one time God, I think it's in Ezekiel, God told the children of Israel, he said, why don't you come before me and reason with me like a man? He meant, here's what God was saying, like a covenant man that you are. When God sees us now, he doesn't see our frailty, our weakness, our righteousness as filthy rags. He sees Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. And let me tell you something, God the Father refuses to allow what Jesus did on the cross to be in vain. Somebody's gonna get saved. Somebody's gonna get healed. Somebody's gonna be delivered. It might as well be you. If you think what Jesus did is gonna go by the wayside and be in vain, then you don't understand that, 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 that heaven was absolutely bankrupted. God actually turned his face upon his own son. Couldn't look at him. A high price was paid, guys, for the covenant that you are in. And our unwillingness to enter in boldly into that covenant, make demands on that covenant, claim promises in that covenant, what, what for? So we can consume it on ourselves? Of course not. So we can change this world and build the kingdom of God in this earth. Bring, sweep hundreds and thousands and millions of people into the kingdom. That's the reason for your boldness. That's the reason we stand without apology. I do not apologize to any man for what God has made me. Nobody. That's not arrogance. That's covenant. I know who I am, I know I'm a knucklehead. I'm a zero with a rim knocked off without Jesus. You don't want me in the same room with me if I, if I wasn't saved. It's never been about us. Mephibosheth scared to death and he's laying before the king. And even after David said, I'm gonna show you loving kindness, he didn't hear it. He still, what is it? He sees himself as a dead dog. Let me, if you see yourself as a dead dog, you're not getting it, you missed it. Let me tell you something, the revelation, this word, you know the Bible says that, that God exalts his word above his name? Why, you know why that is? Because all of God's character, his love, his power, his peace, his, all of God's character combines to bring about the fulfillment of his word. That's why he exalted his word above his name. And so this, this is the clearest communication we have from God. Creation speaks about God to us, but revelation is a clear speaking. Sometimes it's difficult to see God in creation. Maybe not for you and I, but there's some people in the world can't see it at all. It doesn't speak that clearly, but this word speaks absolutely clearly about who God is and who we are. Now let's look at what happens between David and Mephibosheth. Verse 
Verse eight, he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant and said to him, I've given to your master's son. While Mephibosheth thinks he's a dead dog, David said this. Well, you, well, you know, maybe doesn't Mephibosheth have to get it right first? Doesn't he have to get cleaned up? You be the judge. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table continually, always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Let me tell you how God thinks about you. He, send, he sends servants. He'll send his angels. He'll send people. He'll do whatever he's got to do to prosper you. Amen. To heal you. He's already done it. But you know what? You know what I see in God's heart right here? God says, I'm going to provide everything you could possibly need, but you're not going to need it. You're going to be at my table eating continually. He's an excessive God, guys. He's, look, I, I'm not about waste, but I am about abundance. And I'm going to tell you something. God is an abundant God. He's excessive. He creates this entire world that now supports about 7 billion of us. And we still hadn't run out of resources, no matter what the tree huggers think. No matter what the climate change goofballs think. Let me, that, you know what that proves to me? Everybody's got to have a religion. That's exactly what that proves. He creates this entire magnificent world and puts two people in the garden. That's a little excessive. We still hadn't used it up, folks. We're still trying to do it. That's the way God thinks. How do we think? Oh, I'm not going to pay the rent next month. <laughs> Dear God, this is the, life is tough. James is having to let the rough end drag. When am I going to see brighter days? You're not. You're prophesying your, your future. Nobody can overcome your prophecy. You can be Mephibosheth like a dead dog seeing yourself as a dead dog while the king is declaring over you that he's going to give you everything you could possibly need or want and then you're not even going to use it because you're going to sit at his table. <laughs> then Ziba said to the king, according to all of my Lord the king has commanded his servant, so your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table on, by the way, in case you didn't catch it, he's lame in both his feet. You and I are Mephibosheth, folks. We're lame in both our feet. But you know that when, when Mephibosheth pulled up to that king's table, you couldn't see his lame feet. He looked just like one of the sons of God. Guys, put the first verse back up on the screen for me just a moment. I want to take a little license with the word and I'm going to read the first verse differently. Now, God the Father said, is there anyone, still anyone who is left of the house of Adam that I may show him kindness for Jesus' sake? That's you. Is there anyone left of the house of Adam that I may show him kindness for Jesus' sake? You better claim that while you can. Church, if I don't light your fire, your wood's plumb soaked. When I saw this and saw who I was, this is how, I look, I'm not bragging on me, I'm bragging on God. This is how you build multiple corporations. 
the hundreds of employees and produce wealth or you build a magnificent ministry that's changing the world. Not, look, there's no smart people doing this. Trust me. You know what a big shot is, don't you? It's just a little shot that kept on shooting. <laughs> Folks, there aren't any big shots. There's none of us worthy. So look, if none of us are worthy or ever gonna be worthy, why are you messing with being worthy? You are who you are because of Jesus. Next time you need, you have a need, you go before God, just try, just pretend you're Jesus. See how it works. You're one with Jesus. You're one with him. That's all God's waiting for, guys. He's waiting for us to become covenant men and women and to make demands on the covenant. I want to take the rest of the time I've got and I want to show you this in action in the Word of God. I want to show you a people who understand covenant and know how to operate in covenant. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is not in your notes. I had to leave something out. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 1. And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they were in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, here's a covenant man speaking to a covenant God. God, please help us. Oh God, we're dead in. Look at what he says. Oh Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? What's the answer to those questions? Do you think either, either Jehoshaphat or God needed that information? <laughs> Jehoshaphat, is, is, he's not doing that for God's sake. He's doing it for his sake. He's got to remind himself who God really is. This is how powerful a God I'm talking to. Is that not who you are, God? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Yes. That's who I am. Do you see it, Jehoshaphat's faith building? What if, he's, what if he was laying like Mephibosheth, like a dead dog crying? No faith, nobody, listen, his folks would have no confidence in him. They'd be finding a place to hide. <clears throat> and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whom you would not let, it, not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Our eyes are on you. 
How many of you will just admit it with me today? Sometimes you don't have a clue what to do. Let's get over it. Let's, you know, let's, let's get over having to be mighty men and women to each other. Just admit. Sometimes I don't know what to do, guys. But I know where to put my eyes. I know who to seek. I know who to talk to about it. I'm as sure that the word of direction and guidance will come to me as I'm standing here today. God has come through in my life so many times to doubt him at this point would be the absolute crime of the century. He has never failed me. He has never one time, not one time, failed to rescue me. I don't know about you, but I've had to be rescued a few times from my own stupidity, my own ignorance. Jehoshaphat said something interesting. He said, God, your name's in this temple. We're here, we're, we're in this temple. We're where your name is. Did you know that God, just by telling you his name, is making covenant with you? When God says to you, I'm Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider, he's making covenant. He's making a promise. When he says, I'm Jehovah Rapha, your healer, he's making a promise. Now, what kind of God makes tells you his name is Jehovah Jireh and promises to be your healer and doesn't heal you. So Jehoshaphat's faith was in the fact it was in God's promises. And he, was, he had put himself in that place where God's name was. And now here are the people of Ammon and they're come to destroy us. So look down at verse uh, 13. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Maniah and all them other folks. Levites, the sons of Asaph. In the midst of the assembly, a prophet stands up. You seek God with the right words and the right attitude of hearts. You got it going like Jehoshaphat did and what happens? God speaks. God speaks, look at what he says. And he said, listen all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, it's God's. Not only is God gonna meet your need, you're not even gonna have to fight. There's no fighting, there's no struggling, there's nothing. Stand and watch. God. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up the ascent of Ziz and you'll find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight, just in case you didn't catch it the first time. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Boy, you don't know how important those two words are. Position yourself. How do we position ourselves? We get this thing harnessed for, the, for one thing. Look, dear saints, most people never realize the promises of God. They don't get their healing. They don't see prosperity. They don't see any of these things because of this right here. And we see Jehoshaphat here saying the right things, declaring the right things with the right attitude of heart. It's not just words, it's in your heart. The word of God is nigh you, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. You don't have to go to a foreign country to find it. It's right here. Speak it and refuse to speak anything else. Position yourself. And, and, and so what, is, what do some people do? We start fighting. You know, somebody spoke evil of you. There's a difference between defending the word of God and fighting for yourself. 
We, we are called to defend this. I'll defend this word. I'll, I'll, I'm ready to give an account of who God is and who he's made me, but I'm not interested in fighting and arguing and over me or you for that matter. And so a lot of times Christians fight and they fuss and they discuss and they cuss and whatever else they do. <clears throat> and you're not positioned. God doesn't require you to fight, but he does require us to position ourselves. You know what I do when I, when any kind of thing, this thing happens to me where uh, it's a crisis or a mini crisis or just a problem comes into my life. I immediately in my heart make myself present to the Holy Ghost. And I tell you what I do, just because just just it helps me, I just kind of look over my shoulder and say, I'm here, Holy Spirit, right here. Speak to me. I've had lawyers set across from me in crisis in my business, and I can see their mouth moving. And look, I got all the respect in the world for my lawyers. I ought to have as much money as I pay them. <laughs> but I'm, 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 they're not helping me at that point, and I'm talking to God about the answer. And I'm praying in tongues, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm positioning myself. The greatest victories in my life have come when I did exactly what I'm describing to you, positioning myself with the Holy Spirit, with God, so that I don't hear anything else. I like what Andrew said about the 10 Spies Network. If you're listening to the 10 Spies Network, the chances of you receiving the promises of God are slim and none, and slim's out of town. <laughs> One of my business students told me that, I thought it was cute. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Korathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. This is part of positioning. We're not left positioning yet, you got it? We're still positioning ourselves. What are we gonna do next? I told you the only proper response is thanks, thanksgiving, praise God. I mean, it's just, the, it's the only way. So they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah and Jehoshaphat of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established, believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. God said, position yourselves. You don't have to fight in this thing. Go down there and sing them a song. <laughs> so they did. Very quickly, guys, what happened? You got to see what happened. You can't drop it down. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Your enemies will kill one another, guys. You just stand, position yourself, and fight. This is covenant. Why? Well, I thought covenant required both sides to, to be equally powerful and equally do so. You don't have any power. You don't have enough power to blow your nose. You can't keep the covenant. Jesus kept the covenant. He's already done it. It's a done deal. Mine and your job is to do what Jehoshaphat did. Declare God's word. You can't declare God's word, it's not in you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these precious people. And Father, as they apply themselves to your word and to your covenant and obey your, your word, Father, 
I thank you that your promises have always been and will be in them, yes and amen. Father, bless them and put everything they put their hands to. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.